All right. Well, while I'm uh, finishing up getting things going here, um, those of you who are from Lincoya, we are really grateful to be here. My name is Tyler Krug. I'm one of the three pastors or elders. I teach one of our four Sunday school classes that we currently have. And um, we are in the middle of a series on peacemaking. Is there like a bad echo? Oh, okay. I'm just making sure it wasn't me. If you need to shout out instructions like don't speak as loud or back up or something, please, uh, please do so. Okay. So we are in the middle of a series on peacemaking, and what I wanted to do today was to have a bit of an excursus and talk about the power of words. Talk about the power of words briefly in a way that is hopefully meaningful, in a way that is hopefully helpful. And I'm going to be asking for some folks to read a couple of scriptures, uh, but also throwing out some questions and just wanting to hear your candid answers. And I encourage everyone uh, just to participate because I don't want to just be up here lecturing for 45 minutes. So let me pray for us and uh, we will we will dive in. God, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful because of the day that you have made. We're grateful because we have the opportunity to um, come together with other believers, to hear about Jesus, to learn the scripture. We pray we would do so with a humble mind and a loving heart. We pray your blessings on our other Sunday school classes, all the other Sunday school classes uh, meeting concurrently with ours, that you would give those teachers clarity of thought, the listeners' receptive hearts. Be with us during this time. Be with us during this whole morning. What a special occasion and what a privilege um, this is. So uh, as we turn to your word now, we pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. J.L. Austin. Has anyone ever heard the name J.L. Austin? Okay, good. It means you're not totally lost as a philosophy nerd. J.L. Austin was an English, a British philosopher who wrote a tiny little book. It's about 40 pages that single-handedly changed philosophy of language. And it was called How to Do Things with Words. How to Do Things with Words. If you want to read that book, you can read it in one sitting. It's free online now because it's so old. But what he, what, he, what he tried to do in this book is he tried to say that words do not merely communicate information. They do communicate information, but they do not merely communicate information. He said no. In the proper context, words and sentences and utterances actually do things. It actually accomplishes things in life. Like it changes reality in a way that almost seems a little bit spooky. Let me, let me give you some of his examples. He calls these performative utterances. That means I'm uttering something that performs. Listen to the examples. He gives I do in the context of a marriage ceremony. Okay, and in this particular ceremony, I do, I guess, is the, is the culmination, d different marriage or wedding scripts do it different ways. But I do, in the context of a marriage ceremony, as he's trying to lay it out, goes from I'm not in a covenant commitment before God to if I utter these words under the right context, something actually changes and now I am, in, I am in a marriage covenant with this person. That's his idea. That's what he's getting at there. Um, he talks about writing the phrase, I give and bequeath my watch to my brother in the context of a will. 
He says, when I write that down, I'm not just providing information. I am creating certain obligations. I am making certain promises. I am, um, I am, I, I am holding, I, I am, I'm giving something away by doing this. And then, of course, he's British, so he uses the word sixpence. But he says, I bet you sixpence it will rain tomorrow. He says, okay, well, he's not just giving a description. He's actually, before that, he had no obligation. He said this sentence, and now all of a sudden, he has a certain obligation upon himself relative to certain expectations that he can be held accountable for. Um, let me give you another, those are his three, three of his examples. Let me give you two more. How about when my, uh, my son reaches his hand up on the stove and I say, son, it's hot. Now, notice what I'm doing when I say, son, it's hot. Am I merely communicating information? Son, I just thought you'd like to know that this is a, has a lot of mean kinetic energy right here on top of this stove. No, um, what, what I'm doing is I'm communicating, but it's doing something. It's warning him. It's hot. That, ca- that plays a causal role in him not putting his hand up there. Okay? So my words aren't just communicating information. They're actually doing things. They're accomplishing things. They're getting some things done. And of course, to turn to the most, perhaps maybe the most stereotypical, uh, kind of a hurtful phrase where we talk about you know, sticks, everyone's heard sticks and stones and break my bones and words never hurt me. Everyone knows that's all false. The only time anyone uses that is examples like this to say when it's not true. Okay, no, everyone. But how about looking at someone in your family, your spouse, your child, and just saying, you know, I never really loved you. Okay? It's like a dagger. It hurts. It accomplishes something. It probably literally changes the way that that person feels in that moment, at least. Okay? So... Why am I giving all these examples? We're not even to the scripture yet, which we'll certainly quickly get to. It's because everyone knows that words do things. They're powerful things. That's not just a figure of speech. Oh, the power of the pen. The pen is mightier than the sword. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that you actually have the opportunity to affect things in life and affect things in other people. Truly, by the way, you use words. And everyone knows this. It's not even a particularly Christian insight. However, Scripture knew this way before J.L. Austin. Scripture knew this way before J.L. Austin, which is why there is so much space designated to using words and the power of words to actually do things in a way that I think is... I think is totally amazing. Like it's almost borderline spooky for me. Some of the things that, that, that we can do. So here's what I would like to do. Uh, I would like to turn to the scripture. I'm going to get some readers here, but let me just pause and first say before the whole story starts, what is creation as opposed to other ancient Near Eastern myths? How is creation brought into being? By what? What? The word of God by divine speech, right? From the very beginning, it's the words pictured as doing. Let there be light. It didn't say, and then God snapped his fingers. And then God willed there was light. From the beginning, speech and words 
actually accomplish things in this story, the whole scripture. Okay, um, and, and so let me just let me let me pause before we get get to the uh, some of the proverbs here we're going to look at, and then we'll talk about some of the practical application of these things. Let me ask this question: Do you find it difficult, or have you ever found it difficult, to give truly robust affirmation and encouragement to other people? What do you think? I want to hear from someone. Yeah, Rex. Okay, and why is that? Okay. Okay, good. So yeah, sometimes you don't know exactly the, the line between what might be considered flattery and the line and what might be considered good affirmation and encouragement. What what other reasons might you struggle that don't have to do with lack of knowledge about how to do it? Has anyone else found difficult about giving truly robust affirmation and encouragement? What do you think? Okay. Huh, great point. So just for, if you couldn't hear, let me just repeat what he said because it was a really, really good point. He said when I'm affirming someone or encouraging someone, and I think he said complimenting someone, I'm going to draw a distinction between the two, but essentially he says I, I, it's a very personal thing, and I feel like when I'm doing that, I'm giving a little bit of my heart to somebody. When I'm giving good, meaningful affirmation of somebody, you might even feel a little bit like vulnerable or something doing that. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? Some of you have experienced that? Okay. Yes, sir. You have. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah. I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm certainly sorry to hear that. And every situation is uh, different, but certainly some serious things to consider there. Right. Yeah. Understood. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. A lot to process there. Thank, thank you so much for sharing. Um, any other reasons that you might find it difficult, or if you have you ever found it difficult to give truly meaningful affirmation and encouragement? Two really great answers so far. I'm not, didn't, I don't know exactly how or the line, or I feel like I'm, it's very deeply personal to me. Yeah, Susan. Okay. Uh, okay, good, good. Yeah, so, so to repeat, it's, it's sometimes it's just not on our radar. It's, you know, it takes zero effort to see what's wrong in our lives, with other people, in our relationships, in our daily day. It takes zero effort to identify disappointments, frustrations, and what's wrong. Um, and, and it takes very little effort to act on those things and complain and criticize. While on the other side, it takes comparatively much more effort to notice the good and then go affirm the good, particularly in other people. Yeah. Really good point, Susan. Really good point. Anything else about if if you found this difficult? And we're gonna all of these we're gonna end up addressing hopefully if I get through. Yeah, Rex. When I'm feeling a lot of shame, 
Huh, okay. Okay, so he said, when I'm feeling shame, it makes it more difficult. It makes it feel more difficult for me to go affirm other people. Yeah, and maybe that's because, and I, I think this is the case. I'm going to show my hand here. I think when you give meaningful affirmation, you're giving something away, perhaps a little bit. Okay, you're giving something uh, away if it's done the right way. Let me just make one final point here that one phenomena that you'll find is that it is much easier to encourage people who run in a totally different lane than you do or something or someone who's specializing in something totally different than what you even care about than it is uh, affirming people who are doing the exact same thing as you and you're giving them affirmation in that exact area, okay? Uh, So for example, Noah is a professional musician. So for him, telling someone that, hey, you know, you do a really great job in your real estate business or, hey, you always seem to, you know, just, you know, have your, you, you parent really well or whatever. At this point in time, you know, he's not a realtor, he's not a parent. Those, those affirmations are always going to come easier than people who feel like for, to, to just choose a better word who are competitors or something. Okay. Everyone is a, and then you have, say, that's kind of the, um, those are the common pool issues. And when you're, when you're affirming someone who swims in a common pool with you, whether that's a parent affirming another parent, a, 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 a coach affirming another coach, a musician affirming another musician, the common pool, things where mo- both people have mutual interest in, and there could be a tendency to look right and left and see who's ahead, those affirmations will be more challenging. Whereas affirming someone doing something really, really good, but something that is totally outside of the lane that you even run in, generally is not going to be as, as difficult. Okay? Does anyone know it? Does anyone know what I'm talking about when I say that? Does that hit home or does you say, what are you talking about? Okay. Okay, good. All right. So let's get, let me get, if I can get a couple of readers here, I've got four or five scriptures that I want to camp out on and then I want to apply them. So um, if I could have someone read Proverbs 16, 24, Asher, you can read that with a nice loud voice and a little velocity. Proverbs 15, 4. Who wants to read Proverbs 15, 4? Rex. Yes. Uh, Proverbs 18, 21. Who wants to read Proverbs 18, 21? Garrison. And um, who wants to read Proverbs 25.11? Jessa, you can read that. And then um, Ephesians 4.29, the last verse. Who wants to read Ephesians 4.29? Terry is going to read Ephesians 4.29. Okay. All right. So I want everyone to listen carefully. Try to project. uh, If I need to repeat it, I I will. But try to project uh, loudly with a little bit of velocity here so we can move through them. Uh, but I want, to, I want to ground us in the scripture and recall that scripture knows and knew the power of words far before J.L. Austin came up with and developed some of his speech act theory. Okay, and I just want you to listen to this. Okay, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body, which that, that right there includes in, 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 in their thought. That would have been everything. You have your soul, you have your body, that's, that's you. That's a holistic life sweetener. And I don't, you don't want to read too much into a proverb. This is not some kind of, but I mean, the idea that a word is powerful enough to say that it can bring health to the body, that's an amazing thing. That, that it, it, 
it, it can sweeten all of who I am. It can somehow improve me. Gracious words that are spoken to me somehow stand to actually improve my spiritual, perhaps physical, perhaps psychological, emotional health. They have the power to actually change me in that way, to affect me in that way. Okay? Proverbs 15.4. So a gentle tongue, I'm speaking gently to someone, is something that actually provides life to them. So you're telling me that just by using the right words, by being gentle with my tongue, I can actually be giving someone life. This is kind of the, this is the language that is reserved for God and reserved for women who are giving life, producing life. And you're telling me that I can do that in some sense with my tongue, that I can actually, as a, my tongue can be a tree of life to help people live. Wow, that's amazing. That sounds like a superpower. It sounds like a superpower. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So my tongue, I have two choices. Notice there's no, there's no uh, carpool lane there or something, right? The death lane, the life lane is the way the proverb puts it out. So when I'm opening my mouth and I'm speaking, am I bringing death to the people in front of me? Am I holding before them death? Or am I holding before them life? Because apparently I have the ability to do that despite not being a power ranger or a superhero. I have the ability to put forth death and life in front of people because of my words. And those who love the tongue and the power of the tongue and understand it, uh, those who love it will eat its fruits. Now here's the question here. Every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of this question. If you had to eat the fruit of your own lips, the fruit of your own tongue, would you starve? Whew, that's a tough one. You got rotten fruit, no one's going to eat. It's got worms in it, it's dying, death. Got fruit, fruit over here. If you were consigned to eat the fruit of your own lips, would you flourish or would you be famished? It's a challenge. It's a pretty serious challenge. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 25.11. Is that Jessa? Go ahead, sweetie. It's okay, go ahead. It's okay, baby. Take your time. We're not in a rush. 25-11. Thank you so much. That was read so well. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, this is imagery that we don't really... You might have seen, by the way, apples of gold and setting of silver like on the front of a, like a greeting card or something. Um, let me read, let me just read this to you. I couldn't do it any better than what this scholar says, but let me just read this. 
More likely, apples of gold and setting of silver refer to some type of artistic carving, uh, maybe a column of silver adorned uh, by carved fruit of gold, and it would be an opulent and beautiful piece of art, and each element would enhance the other. You would not expect to find a solid golden fruit hung on a piece of old wood, nor would you expect a silver setting to be adorned by fruit carved by some inexpensive material. So there's a fittedness, they go together, right? A silver setting with golden fruit is about as opulent as you could imagine in ancient times. A correct word spoken in the proper context is just as beautiful, opulent, and valuable. So how about this? Maybe you say, well, you know, I don't have, I don't have much money. I can't really help you out financially. I'm not making bank. The six-figure salary isn't mine. I don't live. Well, guess what? Are you able to offer up gold and silver with your tongue? Hmm? Can you produce that? Because you can give people something that is opulent. You apparently can give something that is treasure worthy, that is regal, that is something that would be in a palace, something that could be in a temple. You can do that with a word fitly spoken, not a word just spoken. Fitly spoken, spoken in the right way at the right time. The right thing, the right time, the right way. That's fitly spoken. I don't have time to go into that, but that's what it is. The right word, the right way, the right time. And then finally, let's, let's go forward to the New Testament here, to Ephesians 4.29. Who's got Ephesians 4.29? Yes, Terry. Thank you so much. So that word building up as oikodomain, it's literally the word edification. It's the word edification. And I always like, even though I use words, you can use a word all the time. When I, when I try to zoom in on a word, I always go and look at like the actual definition. Because sometimes there's nuances that I don't realize because that's not how I particularly, that's not the occasions I use it in. But I was pleased to find uh, that in this case, I wasn't far off. So, the instruction or improve, what is edification here? Uh, the instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. Okay? That's what the, the Greek word in the original language here behind building up is edification to edify. The instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. So, apparently, indwelt by the Spirit, I have the ability to instruct or improve somebody morally or intellectually. Now, let me just ask, if I told you, hey, you could go in the next room and there is someone who's going to help you level up morally or intellectually, do you think, would anyone be interested in that? I would. I'd be like, all right, where do I line up? You're telling me that, you're telling me that there are people who can help build up uh, my morality, my life before God, my spiritual maturity, this, this just came from Webster's Dictionary, the intellectual part. That's not the primary focus in Ephesians 4, 29. But they can help me take my thoughts captive. And Yes, that's what I want. Apparently, we have the ability to do that. Our words have the ability to accomplish that if they are fitly spoken. Okay, so um, let, me, let, me, let me say one thing about what you don't notice anywhere here. The person, and the, well, Proverbs talks about it. The person who just kind of runs their mouth, 
You ever met one of these people? It's the extroverted form of being socially unaware. And here's how it happens. You have someone, and they talk, and they talk, and they talk, and they talk. And you think, maybe I'll get to say something. And they talk. Maybe they'll ask me a question, and they talk. And, and, and sometimes they genuinely think that they're doing these things. But they're not. They're running their mouth. Um, they have too many words. They're not fitly spoken. And everyone's waiting for them to stop talking. And no one wants to say it because they're afraid it's going to come across very mean. Hey, I'm sorry, brother or sister. You just dominate conversation. You're, you're, you're aloof when it comes to that. I'm sure you're not meaning to do that. But you've been talking here for 30 minutes and everyone's just, you know, waiting for dinner to end. Okay. I've been there, been in those circumstances. And I say that as someone who is an extrovert, and I can pick out the extroverted version of that. No problem, and everyone has known that. But notice that right there, just continuing to say things, is not what we're getting at. Okay, this isn't like, you know, uh, apples by volume, you know. Apples of gold by volume. If I just say more things that I think sound good, that, that's, that's not it, Okay. Well, so, so that's, I, I hope, it's a bit of a scripture dump, but I want to, but again, the purpose was to first show the power of words that everyone already knows this. The second is to show that the Bible has the corner on the market of the power of words in our own lives. And then I want to ask you before we move on, uh, what are some examples in your life? I mean, everyone I'm assuming, at least at one point in their life, has been encouraged or affirmed before, okay? What have been some examples uh, of good affirmation? that has happened in your life, and what made it so life-giving? I just want to throw that out there. Think of a time, <coughs> excuse me, think of a time where you were affirmed, or you were encouraged. What made it so meaningful and so life-giving? Somebody tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah, great point. Hey, what an encouragement that I was able to help somebody and influence them and a reminder that you don't ever know the, the latitude of the effect that, that, that you have on people. Great example. Yeah, what else? What other encouragement or affirmation have you ever received uh, that was done well? And then what, what made it so meaningful? Rex. Mm, okay, yeah. So Rex is a Sunday, one of our Sunday school teachers. Um, and so having that, given that context, someone comes to you and says, my kid wants to come. And what does that, what does that do? What, how is that? Right. Yeah. Yes. 
good, really, really good. So someone is affirming that you're not wasting your time, that you're doing something that's meaningful, that you're actually making a, a difference, and they're affirming that in, in you. Yeah, really good. Any other, any other, I'd love to hear at least one more example of something that's made for just a time in your life where you were, someone encouraged you, and what, what was, what made it so sweet? What made it so uh, ful- fulfilling or life-giving like we see in here? Yes, sir, Terry. Ah, great point. Okay, yeah. So as an analysis of it, it certainly seems, yeah, when you get affirmation from people who you already deeply respect, that certainly weighs a lot, doesn't it? It certainly weighs a lot. And people who are in positions of leadership should realize that, by the way. They should, they should uh, always take care to realize that, both for good and for, they should realize for evil too, should they misappropriate that influence. Okay. Anything else? I'm so tempted to call on one person, but I'm not going to. All right, we'll move on. Let me give you a couple of, um, let me give you a couple of specifics, just some practical wisdom for doing this well. Okay, practical wisdom for doing this well. Number one, try to be specific about what you're affirming. Hey, I really just appreciate you, man. <laughs> hey, girl, gal, I just love you. Just do you just so great. You just you just rock it. You know, it's like mm, mm. that's not it. That's not what we're going for. Be specific about what it is exactly you're affirming in them. You're encouraging them in. Um, and number two, be specific about how it has affected you or how exactly you appreciated something about them. So, hey, I thought this was really good. You did a good job. That's it. So now you did a good job with how you did whatever this specific thing is. But you can go the extra step and say, and what it did was cause me to fill in the blank, right? What it caused me to do is reevaluate my priorities. What it caused me to do is be more thankful for this and that. What it caused me to do is step back and say, wow, I've never seen Jesus in this light. What it caused me to do was whatever. So, so you can be specific about what you're affirming, but you can also be a spe- specific about how it's affected you or how you have, have appreciated this in this person. Um, number three, uh, use biblical language when possible. This is a subtle one, but use biblical language when possible. So I would, and I try to do this with my children as well. So I try to use the word um, kind instead of nice. And I try to use the, like, wise instead of smart. I try with my son to use the word foolish instead of silly or what. I mean, I try to use biblical categories to keep us uh, in particularly the Proverbs. I'm always asking my son. I'll even pause a movie we're watching. And I'll say, son, was that a wise choice or a foolish choice? And he remarkably oftentimes gives the right answer. And usually it's like a softball one. But, but my, my point is, um, uh, I, I always, I'll, oh, another one I left off here, I try to use the word courage instead of just to be brave or, or you know, man up or something and tell my son. I try to use the, these biblical words and categories the fourth one here is, the, is what Rex hinted at, or he touched on, in terms of the uh, fourth practical piece here, is avoid flattery or exaggeration that calls into question your genuineness. I'm actually going to give you an example. I hope no one remembers, I hope no one remembers this because they'll know who it is. 
But there was someone who was actually giving uh, some affirmation to Stephen, pa- Pastor, Pastor Stephen, years ago, probably six, seven years ago. And um, it started off like good, reasonable affirmation. But this guy kept going on and on, talking about like how handsome he was and like good looking he was, which of course is true. Um, but then he started going on about how he was like the best in the whole world. And it, it got to the point where I was like, kind of, he, he kind of went too far with it. And it kind of threw shade on the real part that happened back here. And everyone was like, is this guy just blowing smoke? Like, what's he doing? So it, 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 he started off with, which felt very genuine and very real, but then moved into just like flattery and exaggeration that kind of robbed the original affirmation of its power. Because everyone's like, oh, okay, now we see what he's doing. You don't want to do that. So avoid, if you're actually affirming someone, and I don't mean just like a casual email response, hey, you're the best, thanks. I don't mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're actually giving someone affirmation on something, okay? Avoid that no one in the whole world has ever done it quite the way that you do it. You are the best that I have ever, you are the best mom that I have ever seen. No one does motherhood like, quite like you. Don't say that stuff. Because they know that's not true, by the way. And so do you. So don't, don't ruin your affirmation by flattery and exaggeration. And then finally, offer thanks to the person and or to the Lord, depending on what the context is and the issue, uh, for the grace in them. I'm really thankful the Lord's given you these kind of gifts because I don't have them. And I just want to say, I really appreciated this because it caused me to rethink this. Thank you so much. really appreciate that. Finally, prepare for someone to respond awkwardly. Okay, so someone tell me why it's awkward. If you've been affirmed or encouraged, why could it be awkward to respond? Have you ever felt awkward if someone's complimented you, affirmed you, encouraged you? Have you ever felt awkward and not really known how to reply? Anybody? No? Nobody? Oh, there we go. Snugs. Yeah, okay. All right. I knew that was the case. Why is that? Oh, man, I only have 10 minutes left. What's wrong with the time here over at Lincoln? It goes so fast. Hey, what, what, what's, uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, Rex. Uh, okay. Oh, uh, I see. Okay, so a little, a little more complicated story there with the, the putting a couple things together, right? Okay. What else? Why else might it be awkward, and why can you expect awkwardness? Ah. Yes. Yeah, excellent. So you don't want someone to say, hey, you did a really good job, and you to say, I know. You know? I know. It was very good now that you point that out. Yeah, I concur. Yeah, you, you don't, yeah, so, but, but as I, but I, let me say this, know that when you affirm people that they're going to be trying to figure out how to reply, so just be gracious with whatever they say, okay? Because sometimes everything short of thank you, you know, and sometimes people feel awkward saying thank you. In fact, in seminary, it was like, if someone says you preach a great sermon, don't say thank you, say, oh, glory be to God, which is even more awkward. Um, no, I mean, but, but it's just, just it seems more like a churchyism 
uh, than, than meaningfully interacting with someone instead of just saying, hey, I really, uh, hey, I really appreciated your teaching or sermon. Oh, awesome. I really appreciate that. What, what, and now my question is, what in particular stuck out to you? And they better be ready. Because, I, because the answer, it was just a good sermon, is not an answer. A good sermon, if that's what you walk out with, a good sermon never changed anyone's life. What do you remember about it? Oh, it was just a good sermon. And what do you remember about the good sermon? Oh, just that it was really well done. It's passionately delivered. Not a good sermon. Okay? Okay, you want people leaving the, your sermons as a preacher. And it's not, not that this is a preaching class singing, what a great savior, not what a great sermon. Okay? Okay, so be prepared for someone to respond awkwardly. Now, let me ask you, we got seven minutes left, and I think I'm going to finish up here. Um, when you have received affirmation that's been done poorly, and I already talked about the flattery piece, have you ever been affirmed in a way that was really, really bad? Like it was done very poorly. Can you think of a time where you were affirmed or encouraged, but it was just, it wasn't done well at all? No? Okay, well, let me briefly give a couple of examples. One comes straight out of corporate America, the old affirmation sandwich. Okay? The affirmation sandwich. We really appreciate the job you're doing, but uh, this is really terrible on your report. And uh, what we need you to do is fix this now or you're going to go on a performance improvement plan. And we are so very thankful for you and the job that you are doing here. Um, really tremendous work. Okay? So I say something good, then I say my real reason for showing up, my criticism. Now stick another affirmation, affirmation sandwich. People sniff that out so fast, folks. Don't try that. Don't ruin your affirmation. If you want to give feedback, constructive criticism, great. You got to give that, but give that separately from your affirmation. Okay? When you're giving affirmation, just give pure affirmation. Save the constructive feedback or criticism for another conversation. Um, certainly, people give affirmation to suck up. Um, they, uh, some people give affirmation and encouragement hoping to get it back, just like someone asks about your day so that you will ask them about their day. Okay? I've had that happen before as well. Uh, when it doesn't happen, that someone just wants to talk about their day. They just want to talk, 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 talk. So they ask you, and you're like, my day was good. And that was it. They're like, oh, man, I hope he asks how my day went. Okay. A um, couple of things here, a couple of questions to ask yourself. We've talked about the power of words. I've given some practical, a practical scaffolding about how to deploy this. Let me just ask you to consider some things so as we walk out of here, everyone can say, hey, am I going to walk out of here and, and, and really do something? Is, am I going to remember this? Is this going to take root in my heart, or is this just going to be um, an interesting teaching about the power of words from philosophy of language and then more importantly the scriptures? Four questions and then one encouragement. In sober-minded self-assessment, okay, honest to God here, how would you rate your ministry of words on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm not asking you to shout out your number, okay? In sober-minded self-assessment, scale of 1 to 10, however you want to make it 1 to 10 or whatever, but how would you rate your ministry of words? Your family, your friends, your church life, your workplace, you have the opportunity to give life. You have the opportunity to enrich people's souls, bring health to people's bodies right here. How would you rate your ministry of words? Number two, 
Do you really believe that a ministry of words can enrich a marriage, vitalize a church, and help people more than many other things that you might attempt? Oh, I know what would be more helpful. No, I got it. I'm going to put a plan together. Here's my plan to do X, Y, and Z for revitalization. Oh, well, here's my plan for our get our family back on track. Well, here's, okay, there's a lot of things that you can do to try to move the needle in any particular area, but do you really believe the ministry of words because they can do things, can give life and enrich? Or does that sound like flowery language? Just be honest with yourself. Does it just sound like flowery language and a pastory thing to say? Who could you, here, this is, the, this is where it gets very concrete. Who could you prayerfully consider affirming or encouraging in your life this week? Perhaps that's today. Perhaps that's tomorrow. Perhaps that's some other time during the week. Who could you prayerfully consider affirming? And remember, we talked about some ways to do that, being specific, talking about how it affected you, avoiding flattery, etc. Who could you prayerfully consider affirming or encouraging in your life this week? And then finally, in honest self-assessment, are you more vocal with your criticisms or your constructive feedback or your affirmations and encouragement? And your people who know you, does more criticism and what's wrong come out of your mouth? Or would they say no, mostly on, on the scale? If we, if we put, had a little scale here and all the negative and criticism, no matter how it's done, is over here, and all the positive is over here, the uh, po- well, positive far outweighs the negative. Or would the scale be flipped around? And let me just mention one thing called silhouette affirmation. Silhouette affirmation. You know what that is? That means when things are going well and things are, go- things are going well around me and you're doing well, I'm silent. When there's a problem, I speak up. Silence is good. It's a terrible way to be a marriage partner. It's a terrible way to be a friend, terrible way to be a parent. So long as things are going well, I don't say anything. That's my version of affirmation, just not criticizing. It's my neutral stance that you're supposed to interpret as positive. When things start going badly or I'm annoyed, then is when I speak up. So I only vocalize my criticisms and my complaints, and they could be legitimate. But nevertheless, on balance, I still, I'm out of balance in terms of I'm not a positive, uh, I'm not an encouraging person. I'm probably not someone that a lot of people want to be around because on the whole, I tend to be um, more critical and I tend to complain more. Where are you on that? Ask somebody who, who wouldn't mind hurting your feelings and giving you a straight answer. On the whole, are you more vocal with your criticisms and constructive feedback or your affirmations, even if your constructive feedback is very good? Okay, well, we have one minute, and so I've timed this out well. Let me just give you a final encouragement. Final encouragement as we go out of here. Um, affirming people well may take some, some effort and practice. Okay? And in some cases, uh, in fact, many cases, it certainly takes some humility. It does to do it well. But you know, it doesn't require a lot of talent, folks. It doesn't require spiritual giftedness. It doesn't require knowing the Bible well. It certainly doesn't require being a pastor or a theologian. It doesn't require being smart. It doesn't require being a Christian for a long time doesn't require youthful zeal or energy. It doesn't require any of that. You don't need any of that to affirm and encourage people. 
and have a life-giving ministry of words. None of that. You don't need any of those things. You don't have to be talented. In other words, everyone can do it. So let me ask you a question. Do you know of any tool in the scripture besides the word and prayer? Those are obviously, they go together as the top two. Okay. Do you know of any tool for ministry to others in the Bible besides the word and prayer, speaking the word of God to them, praying for them, that how is the power to bless and give life to others more than well-spoken words? You think about that. If you, if you can find that in Scripture, you come tell me. Word and prayer, supreme. Words fitly spoken, gracious words that give life, that sweeten the soul, that give health to the body, that are like apples of gold, that have the ability to build up. After word and prayer, do you know of any more powerful ministry tool to other people? The answer is no. And then the question is, why would we not be so eager to use that then, especially if it requires zero talent? doesn't require you, again, being spiritually mature even or really smart or knowing the Bible. Everyone can speak life-giving words. Uh, and, so if we're only, so, and so it's like this ministry tool belt to love other people well. And if you are not using this one right here, you're one-third down. If you got the top, stop, you know, top three ranking, word and prayer tied at the top, and then, you know, words. Service would be right under that, but words is going to take the top one in terms of material it gets in the scripture. So let me affirm you, something that takes no social ability, no theological knowledge, very little spiritual giftedness, no youthful energy, and has the power to do this, why would we not be eager to develop in ourselves a ministry of words in our life and our families? in our churches. Okay? And pray that God gives us the grace to, to do that well. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for words. We tremble at their ability to give and lead to death, but also rejoice in the ability to lead to life. And we pray that you would help us examine our hearts and our lives. And where can we improve here? Where can we give affirmation that feels vulnerable, like we're giving something away? Where can we do something, make a small little change who can we pray for and encourage specifically and affirm this week, pointing out your grace in them? Lord, help us to be people who minister to others well with gracious words. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.